You don't like bubble gum? No, it's awful. Who doesn't like bubble gum? Me. Let me let's be clear about the things you don't like. You don't like bubble gum. You don't like Charles Dickens. You don't like Shakespeare. Right. These are three unusual things not to like. Or Nirvana. That's not that. That's unusual. not so unusual. It's also not unusual to be loved by you. <laughs> do, 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 do. It's not unusual to be loved by yeah. anyone. Do, 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 do. This is Four Friends Fight About Film, a podcast about movies and things more important than movies, if we ever find any. Guys, Valentine's Day is upon us. Thank the God. The most wonderful time of the year nope. is what I believe they call I it. Like it. Nope, no one calls it that. I mean, that's probably not true. There's a, a lot of married people that hate Valentine's, too, because the pressure And, to buy and each present. other. There's, there's a, a lot of, each a other. Lot of pressure point. on Valentine's Day. With all the love in the air today, we thought we'd talk <laughs> about our favorite romantic movies. So to kick us off, say your name and what song would you play over the end credits of your personal love story? Lance, kick us off. This is Lance. I'm going to pick something a little odd. I'm going to pick Stand By Me by the guy who sings Stand By Me. Oh, um, Benny King. How tall is he, Gimme? <laughs> well, it was in the 60s, so they didn't grow him higher than six foot. So <laughs> him higher. Man has evolved <laughs> since then. Um, it's not really usually thought of as like a romantic song, but it's, it's a song that is very powerful to me. All right, Jordan. My answer is no song because I hate end credit songs. So I think it would just be the sound of me snoring and Lily's irregular sleep breathing. I thought you were about to say irregular heartbeat. I was like, really? are we going to make fun of that on the show? No. She doesn't have one, but I don't think she does, but her, she breathes a little funny Get while that she check. sleeps. Uh, my name is Hudson, and I got married last year after 37 years of failed relationships. So I'm going to go with... There's still time. Etta James at last. Oh, oh man. Oh. She's got so many better songs. <laughs> we may reference she, that song again later in the podcast. What? Oh, great. Did you pick a song for one of your movies? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's got this amazing song that goes, You give me what I want when I want it. Cool story, Jordan. It's a great song. Much better than At Last. Yeah. Well, that's not what Hudson picked, yeah, the, so the point, there's no need to talk about that song. Right. At la- okay. This is Gibby, and uh, I wanted to pick a song from a film, because that's what I do. Uh, that's let's right, but go the, with yeah. Don't You Forget About Me. <laughs> but there's no, already a movie really? that ends with that. We're talking about your movie, about oh, okay. you. It would be something by Brian Adams, probably everything <laughs> I do. I do it for you. <laughs> right, somebody already did that, too. I don't too. think that's in a movie. What? You don't think? It's, it's, I'm just kidding. That's okay. a, you can't make an arbitrary rule right now. You really are the person in the list. Kind of what you do is make arbitrary glory of love. One of those songs, whatever. (laughs) We asked you guys on Facebook what your favorite romantic movies were, and you guys had lots of opinions. We had overwhelming. Uh, It was our largest response. To start this off, uh, we heard from Lance's dad. Yeah, my dad listens. Lon Lon L. Hurd, who we know is Lonnie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gibby, do you want to give this one a shot? I'll do a shot, bud. All right, bud. (laughs) Grace Love Story, last film allowed in Harvard campus. Which, this took me a minute. Because this is what your dad said, Lance. <laughs> Greatest love story in the last film allowed on Harvard campus. And I thought, is that like a trivia? Like, is he asking Look, us what the greatest love story is? The, yeah. Listen, the, the, sins of the, story. the sins of the father should not be translated to the son. <laughs> I didn't write this. I don't know what he meant. But what he's talking about is the movie Love Story. Yeah, yeah. now this was an interesting fact. So my hat's off to you, Dad. Because I yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, this is a great movie, too. Love yeah. Story. I don't know if you guys have seen but it. But we asked, we him, we asked him about this. I wanted more information on this. And he said, I said, well, why didn't they let him film anything else there? And he said, they apparently uh, trampled some bushes. 
is. I read a little more. Apparently, they used some fake snow, and the fake snow kind of destroyed the trees on campus. But also, there was some rifts between the campus staff and the people working on the film. I believe they were actually kicked off of campus after filming for a week. Oh, wow. Um, Adam Petrie. Lance, do you want to do this one? The Before Trilogy is easy. One of the best romance sagas of all time. It's a more unique take on the genre. Watching a couple grow together throughout the years was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> God, that really that really hurt my throat. Yeah. Poor guy. How do you do it? The this is time. embarrassing, but I've never seen those movies. I've seen all three of them. I thought they were wonderful. I think I've always movies. heard that. I've just yeah. never seen them. It's Link really later? just two hours of people talking it and is. walking. And well, they're roughly... Roughly real time, right? It seems like it. Yeah. No, they're very impressive to make that interesting. I mean, they had to get it done before midnight. So we also heard from Ashley Hamby, and we thought her response was so good that we're not going to do a silly voice on it. So she said, Garden State, nothing creates all the feels like a lifeless, depressed actor who comes home for his mother's funeral after years away to be awakened by a girl who crashes into life with a fearlessness that revives him. She wears a helmet, by the way, because she has seizures. Talk about a literal metaphor. Anyway, a as a person who suffers from mental illness, depression, this movie spoke to me on how death Death is not the end, but for some, the beginning. Now I'm going to do it in a Pee Wee Herman voice. <laughs> not true. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed to say that I've never seen this movie. Yeah, a lot of people hate Garden State. I do think it's a very interesting movie, and I personally like it a lot. People kind of attack it for the same reason they attack Juno, the kind of cuteness of it or the hipsterness of it. Mm. <laughs> Who would do that? Well, we'll get there. <laughs> At least two of us within the next <laughs> yeah. hour will do that. But great, great response, Ashley. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ashley. Love uh, you, Ash. If you guys want your favorites right on the show, you can leave your comments at facebook.com slash fightaboutfilm. Okay, so let's talk about it. How difficult was this list for you guys? And what was your kind of general criteria for picking most romantic film or greatest romantic film? This was surprisingly not as difficult as I thought it would be because I hate these kind of movies. I guess when I first think of romantic movies, I think of rom-coms. Sure. And there are not three rom-coms in the world that I like. So that would have been hard. So my, well, you need to see more Katherine Heigl movies, I think. I really don't. So my, my criteria was basically things that I, A, loved, and B, applied to my own romantic life. Hmm. No, I think that's a good point. I love romantic movies. I love romantic comedies. So this should have been really easy for me, but I have, I've gone through life being heavily influenced by movies, and movies set up this expectation for romance that is just not realistic, usually. Mm -hmm. You know, they kind of teach that, you know, coincidences or serendipity is like really meaningful. They teach that struggle is romantic. They teach that to fight for somebody that's given up on you is mm -hmm. romantic. That love can be earned in some way. A lot of these movies talk about. So I got burnt out on these movies because I would kind of follow the rules of, of movies and then have awful real life relationships. So for me, I chose three movies that I felt like said real things about real life love. That's a way to put a lot of thought into it, guys. I basically <laughs> just look at a list of, just roll dice? of romantic comedies and say, oh, those three are good. Real proud of you. Putting the list together was easy. Prepping for this episode has been an emotional nightmare for me this week and but i'm not really even, fun for us i'm to watch not even joking down. it's been horrible because of what you had to rewatch these movies or because just consider things about your own life how personal do you want me to get here i mean personal as you want mm -hmm. to get i've been in love once in my life it was a few years ago and it was it was a woman that i'd been friends with for a long time and it, it didn't end well and i've never gotten over that and so my kind of coping mechanism with things like that is i shut off like i, right. I shut down and so to me you know i i tried to shut 
this is going to sound really unhealthy and wrong, but like I tried to shut all of this stuff out. Sure. Romance just, doesn't exist. Yeah. You like and, plug your ears and you're like, la, 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 Exactly. La, la, I'm la, like, la. you know, cause it's like a, you don't want to get hurt again thing. And so yeah. for me having to reopen that and go back into this world was, was hard and I didn't enjoy it. And I think that's why a lot of people do hate romance movies because for them, it's like, it's like flashbacks. It's like, yeah, it's like a Vietnam wounds. vet huh. watching a war yeah. movie. It's like, you don't want to go back into huh. that world. That's, that's what was hard for me. That's really interesting about it. And I'm curious now how people, people do view romance movies and how much of it is, you know, let's say it's a married woman who's unhappy and she's watching romance movies because it's this idealistic situation that she doesn't have Mm -hmm. or a person like yourself who is watching it in kind of this terrified way because it reminds them of something that they had and lost and it's a sad thing. Yeah, it reminds you of pain you don't want to re-experience. Yeah, Um, so for everybody, romance does not equal the same thing. Right. Jordan, we're starting with you with a little bit of, uh, this is not your conventional romantic comedy. This is not Pretty Woman. You're right. This is not Pretty Woman. Uh, This movie is called Natural Born Killers. (laughs) (laughs) So in 1994, uh, Oliver Stone made one of the most explosive, controversial, and powerful movies of the 90s, if not all time. It tells the story of the psychotic, all-consuming, unstoppable, reckless romance of Mickey and Mallory, two young lovers on a media-fueled rocket to the top of the burning remnants of the world. Woody Harrelson, who plays Mickey, said in an interview, Natural Born Killers is really a misunderstood romantic comedy. (laughs) So there you go. That's false. (laughs) He is wrong. Well, I mean, he's dead wrong about that. He's pretty close to the movie. I don't care. I've seen the movie and he's dead wrong about that. I mean, he... He's, he's in it. I don't care. Has he seen it? Because this is not a romantic comedy. You may not have seen it. Woody Harrelson has also done a fair amount of drugs yeah, over the years. Yeah, he's pretty high <laughs> well, while he shot this and watched it. I'm going to disagree with all of you because I think at its dark, twisted core, that's exactly what it is. A love, you also have a dark, twisted core, though. So. Yes. A love so uncontrollably aflame that it destroys everything in its wake. It's a young kind of love, but one with which I can relate. It's the kind of love that you feel the first time you think that you're in love. And it can go in one of two directions. One, the rest of the world fades away and all that's left are the two lovers in love, ignoring all else. Or two, as with Mickey and Mallory, it becomes us versus the world. And so they burn the world down while shouting from the rooftops that they are in love and they want everyone to know it. Their love becomes their only salvation, their violence the byproduct of the great energy between them. Now, obviously, the murderous rampage is hyperbole to the extreme, a great exaggeration of freedom and exuberance that one only feels at that first spark of adult love as a youth. Well, I think everybody remembers their first killing spree. <laughs> and like when, when they met at someone. So in that regard, I agree with you. It does tap into something I think we all get, you know? <laughs> well, that's... That's the the hyperbolic aspect of it, naturally, Lance, where you feel like you could you can do anything. When I was young, I wanted so badly to be caught in one of these whirlwinds to hold the love that kills the demon. Now you know the only thing that kills the demon, love. That's why I know that Mallory's my salvation. She was teaching me how to love. I forgive you, baby. Yeah, it's just like being in the garden Eden. Only love can kill the demon. Hold that thought. However foolish and destructive, to burn so brightly as Mickey and Mallory would finally feel like truly being alive, as Robert Downey Jr.'s character gets just a taste of as he's caught up in the whirlwind himself. Don't you get it? I'm alive for the first f***ing time in my life. I'm alive! 
And when we're young, anxious to, or just out from under our parents' roofs, that's what we really want, to feel alive. And that's romantic, to feel alive for the first time with a partner who shares your passion for feeling alive. It's hard to overstate how <laughs> controversial this movie was when it came out. Right. It was, I mean, it, it took over the culture in a way, mm-hmm. how controversial it was. a bunch of copycat killings. And going to see it in some circles was almost like a character flaw. <laughs> I mean, people really flipped out of this movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was like the most 90s movie possible. Oh, yeah, I think it's the like... Like, this is the movie, like, when they're doing that VH1 show or whatever, like, remember the 90s? Like, hey, remember <laughs> Natural Born Killer? I mean, it, it just, it feels, it, it seems to embody the, the energy, the, yeah. the grunge. But also the kind grunge, of the messaging of it with, like, the media and everything. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. all of that was The problem is, and, and, and again, this this is, I don't know what Stone's intention was with these two characters. By the end of the movie, I don't like either one of them. That, that, that was my issue with it. And that may be fine. That may be what Stone wanted. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Well, they're not supposed to be the real villains. But they totally are also. They are, right. they're, they're, there's a victimization aspect to them that you do feel but for Tommy what Lee they've Jones been through. Tommy Lee Jones is kind of a worse bad, right? Was that the idea? In the movie? I think the idea is that Tommy Lee Jones is a worse bad and that Robert Downey Jr. is a worse bad oh, because right. he's Taking glorifying it all it, yeah, yeah. And, and giving them a mouthpiece. I, I think I also admire the, the implicit tragedy of it. You know, this idea that the, and it, it is very Bonnie and Clyde in that regard. There's no, again, there's no whitewashing of anything here. Right. It's, it's brutal. We know that these two are not going to have much more time together and, you know, spoiler it's, alert. They, well, spoiler alert, they get away, but we know that that's not going to last much longer. Just right. the nature of their the life that they've chosen, right. it's going to have a, a, a pretty brutal end. Which I think is why it works for me as the first romance, is that mm-hmm. it burns super brightly, but it's it's not going to be that lasting kind of romance. The origin of this movie is, is pretty fascinating. It's written, the story's written by Quentin Tarantino. And this was during the, where he just burst onto the scene like in 92 to 94. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he actually wrote this story as a movie inside of a movie, and this story was going to be inside of True Romance, where hmm. Christian Slater's character was writing this ah. movie inside of True Romance awesome. as they were traveling across the country. I mean, obviously that movie would have been way yeah. too long, so he, huh. he broke it off. And That's cool. But apparently, this was heavily re- rewritten. Yeah, yeah. Oliver Stone really changed it a lot, so much so that Tarantino only wanted to have a story by. Huh. Alright, Gibby, your number three. So my number three film is the, this is going to come a shock to, to all you listeners. It's nope. a Pixar movie. What? <laughs> yep. But no, but the good news is that you're a Pixar movie, not all Pixar movies. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. You're, yeah. Missing, you're getting good Pixar movie. You're getting, is a. you're getting good at this. In my opinion, the most romantic of the Pixar films. See, 2008 sci-fi romance comedy. Pile of trash. How dare you, sir? Words? Pile that's of what trash. he picks up. Yeah, that's what he does. Wall E, directed by Andrew Stanton. You so think Wally, this is more romantic than Up? I do because I think it's not the focus of Up. Right, it's Only not ten the focus minutes of Up. Are romantic, yeah, ten right? minutes of Up are yeah, the, the whole, most romantic. The whole thing. journey. Well, you know, we're not going to talk about another. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Up in this Wally segment. <laughs> no, I mean I'm. Oh, sorry. I guess All right, give me something. Wally <laughs> <laughs> is the name of the movie we are talking about today. Right. So, quick synopsis is set 700 years in the future, and Earth has been abandoned. And the only, well, sort of alive inhabitant on Earth is a robot programmed to go around to pick up trash and compact it. His name is Wally. Wally spends his days moving around trash, picking it up, compacting it, and is even watching Hello Dolly on a VHS player with the only other live creature on Earth, a cockroach named Ralph. I wish they had compacted this trash into about 10 minutes instead of 90. So Wally's lonely <laughs> life gets a shock when a new robot, Eve, appears and changes him forever. Wally's immediately infatuated with Eve, and the rest of the movie shows their love story. And then there's like some fat, immobile humans and evil AI and outer space stuff. I feel like there's more than that. 
really glossing over <laughs> yeah. some things, but yeah. okay. And how, how much time do they spend just on Wally? It's like the first 40 minutes, Yeah, I mean, right? like the first 40 minutes are... Yeah, they're gorgeous. A, it's a silent movie. Yeah. The first 40 minutes of this movie are amazing. The yeah. first 40 minutes of the movie are almost flawless. Yeah. yeah. It is... Uh, it's perfection. Absolutely. Yeah, and well, similar to something we just mentioned in Up, the second half kind of detracts from the first, but I still think it works. I just fell in love with this movie when I first saw it, and uh, probably... because you fell asleep halfway through and didn't see the <laughs> terrible second half? Can, nope. you, uh, can you hold the little, the, the little zingers for a second yeah. or let them what in? What is this? <laughs> you, you get your chance. It's just such an innocent story of first love and true love. The the way Wally falls in love with Eve and wants to protect her and just do all that he can for her. And I definitely had a lump in my throat a couple of times in the second half when she risked her life to go out in outer space and save Wally. And then... It's not because you were choking on your <laughs> giant civil <laughs> throat throat with straw. Yeah. Meal. Oh, wow. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> okay. Have lunch in a cup. That ended yeah. up way more PG than I thought it might. <laughs> I think what's most impressive about this film is that it tells this huge sweeping love story in my opinion with maybe like 10 words of dialogue between the two main characters yeah i wish that it had just been that instead of all the preaching that they do in, in the other part jordan why do you hate the environment so uh, much yeah go for it it's just, it you felt don't. so preachy to me one of the first conversations you and I ever had about a movie was actually about this movie back in Ooh, 2008. Really? Interesting. And I, I have so much respect for your opinion, but you are so wrong about this movie. <laughs> um, this this might be my favorite Pixar movie. I remember sitting in the theater watching the, remember the defined dancing scene mm. where it's it's Wally and Eva and they're out in space oh, and she's yeah. flying around it. and he's got a fire extinguisher and they're flying together. Yeah. And, and I find myself on the verge of tears and somewhere in the yeah, dark recesses of my mind, I'm thinking, why is this working? This is two CGI yeah. characters who are machines who haven't actually said a word to each other apart from each other's names and somehow this is one of the most beautiful romantic things I've ever seen in a movie what's the magic of movies though it's it's visuals with music and characters that have been built up and all coming together that's that's exactly where I was headed this movie and I think that's why I admire it goes back to basic filmmaking which is this this, this the power of film is that it makes us feel these powerful emotions through images rather than just talking about love endlessly and that's what this film does so well I'll say Jordan in fairness I understand your annoyance with the end, although it's odd since politically you do align so much with the, what they're <laughs> Yeah, but preaching. I don't need to get preached I, I, about I, I understand. Sure. I understand. I get that. To me, that just, that was, so, what they were saying didn't even feel like a political message as much as just an observation. Um, it just felt like such a natural, yeah, this is how our society is. But I also get that it could have been a beautiful, perfect movie even without that stuff. Right. Yeah. And that, I, I feel like they forced that in there and they just beat you over the head with it. And and that's, that's, a, that's a problem. I, I don't really think it's a problem but you guys think it's a problem in me that a movie can be so close to perfect but they do something that ruins it and that right. that ruins the entire movie for me because they were so close yeah it just it didn't feel like as big a component in my mind coming away from it as it did for you which that's just a personal thing so wally is voiced by ben burt who most famously is the sound designer for star wars who gave us the sounds for lightsabers r2d2 blasters he basically sound designed our entire childhood. Wow. Like yeah. any, anytime we make noises with our mouths by playing with toys, he designed that. Did I read correctly that Quality. Eva's voice was just done by like some intern or something? Have they you guys do heard that, that a lot yeah. on Pixar does. It was like yeah. somebody that just worked at Apple, some girl. They'll have someone, they'll yeah. have a temp person fill in and then they like How's them that so happen? much. Does that somebody they walk them. down the hall? Hey, come in here and say Wally real fast. Yeah. Jamie, put that mail down and get in here. <laughs> <laughs> what song is playing during the fire extinguisher scene? Is it not at last? No. 
stuck yeah, on I haven't seen this movie in eight years. I don't know. Isn't that, isn't that song? It's, <laughs> no, the song? The song is it's a beautiful Thomas Newman score, which adds to this uh, wonderfully. That was sung by Etta James. Nope, that last. No words. <laughs> All right. My number three. 2005's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Who knew that a movie about marriage therapy could be so much fun? Most romantic movies are about falling in love, but the thing I love so much about Mr. and Mrs. Smith is it's all about fixing a broken marriage. John and Jane Smith are bored. They both live double lives as rival assassins, but since they hide the secrets from their spouses, they each think of the other as dull until the moment they're hired to kill each other. As the movie goes on, the situation puts the two characters through different marriage-building exercises, from sharing all the things that they've ever lied about, to spicing things up in the bedroom after trying to kill each other, to a great scene where they each share their number, but instead of sex partners, it's how many people they've killed, to a communication exercise where she has to be his eyes and ears, and finally the ultimate trust exercise when they have to rely on each other to survive. Ultimately, the movie is about communication and acceptance and mutual respects, the three cornerstones of marriage. <laughs> I think we're all wondering if those are, in fact, the three cornerstones of marriage. Like, what about unhappiness and misery? Yeah. <laughs> the five cornerstones. So I completely adore this movie, and I think it's so brilliant and funny and so much fun and perfectly executes on a fun premise. I remember seeing Mr. and Mrs. Smith at the theater, and it was a film I was really looking forward to because I like the director, and at the time I liked the Doug actors. Lyman. Yeah. And, Brad Pitt. Right, Angelina Jolie, Adam Brody's even in it. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> um, is that the actor that you liked? Yeah, Adam Brody, I love that guy. So, but I was kind of left cold after it was over. Hmm. The the romantic like, part of like it, the theater was cold. Yeah, it was like oh, you should always like bring a sweater. Yeah, yeah. in the summer and we wore shorts. And we told you this no, repeatedly. You're always, always cold. cold. You've got to bring a jacket, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the movie is great. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was just I was just left cold by it. I so didn't, you did not I didn't, connect to it. Yeah, I didn't connect to the yeah, romance. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I found this movie pretty forgettable, and, and I have to say, in fairness, I, I I watched it with a girl who I desperately wanted to be with at the time, and so I wasn't really paying attention to it because I was focused on her. The good news is that didn't work out. She got married, has kids, and looks terrible now. So that's <laughs> that's the plus side of this story. Um, wow, kind of an uh, kind of an irony in this film is that it's a romantic film that killed a real life romance. It really did. Yeah, us weekly update. <laughs> Next up, Gibby tells us the true story behind Jennifer Aniston's new hairdo. Uh, I've only seen one scene of this movie, and it's I feel like they're in a house and they're shooting at each other a lot. Yeah, that happened. That's kind of the whole movie. It was, really. I mean, kinda... it, it was, I think I saw it like at my parents' house. Yeah. It was, it was fun, but it, did, I it just, wasn't like I I've got to see that movie it's, from beginning see, to I end. I expected of this movie. it to be funnier because it has funny people in it, and it just didn't make me I laugh. I think it is the one of the funniest movies. Like, I, if, if I want to laugh, I put this on. It's, I just there, laughed at the whole thing. I, I do the remember, situations are funny. I do remember some of the funniest moments is how quickly they're just okay with killing each other. Like, some <laughs> right. of that was hilarious. Yeah. Like, so yeah, some of it did work, and maybe I need to rewatch it again. Well, and but, part of that is the mistrust of each other. Like, they don't, they can't tell if the if their spouse hates them right. and wants to kill them or if they love them, and that's the whole tension. You think this story's going to have a happy ending? Happy endings are just stories that haven't finished yet. Lance, number three. Cue Miss Hepburn. Guess who's coming to dinner? Thank you, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> 
guess who's coming to dinner? Stanley Kramer's 1967 classic. Why are we talking about who's coming to dinner when you're talking about a movie? No, that worked better in my head than it did. <laughs> That's so often you the case. It, you said it too movie. fast. This tells the story of Joey, the white daughter of two prominent San Francisco liberals, played by Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, who returns home with her fiancé, a young black man, played by Sidney Poitier, challenging their attitudes on race relations and interracial relationships. So this country has obviously come a long way in terms of race relations, and this movie coming out today wouldn't have had the same impact uh, as it did in 1967. And what makes this film work so well is that it's not just a movie about fighting racism. That would have been a very easy thing to tackle. This is a film about people who claim a position finally being put in a place where they have to live out that position when it shows up on their front door and how they go about handling that. And that's what makes this movie so timeless. You could probably make the same film today tied to, say, gay marriage, maybe. Mm -hmm. You'll probably be able to make the same movie 30 years from now when it's like marrying a robot or whatever we're dealing with <laughs> 30 years from now. You'd be surprised um, what you could do today with robots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that one sit there for a second. Like, would I be surprised what you've done with a robot or just what people can do? I, I have I have a little bit of a unique history with this film. So I, I first saw this in my 20s and I loved it. And then within a, within a couple of years of watching it, I found out my dad was getting married to a black woman. So I had a black step parent and a black stepsister who is herself married to and a so white So the man. audience knows you are white. Yeah, I'm white. You're I'm Caucasian. White. You are? <laughs> what? Yeah. So I got a black step parent and a black stepsister who is herself married to a white man who actually listens to this show. And all of a sudden, interracial marriages were a part of my family. And, you know, everyone came over for dinner one night. No, I was kidding. That's not true. <laughs> but, you know, to be clear, I never dealt with anything on the level of this movie. And personally, I never had a, an issue with any of it because I was just lucky enough to have been raised better and not be living in 1967 when this entered my life. But I remember seeing some of the things my dad dealt with from one or two disapproving family members. So I, I don't want to give the impression that like what I went through was anything like this movie because it wasn't. But I remember getting a quick crash course in this idea that regardless of how accepting of something you are, there's a huge difference between talking about being accepting and actually having to live out that acceptance. Mm. In that regard, I remember going back to this movie and, pre and appreciating it, yeah, its message even more. Yeah, I think that's where the real power in this lives. I'd never seen this before and I, I watched it earlier and I wouldn't have guessed that her parents were liberals that mm -hmm. had fought for the cause and then were faced with it and that makes it so much more powerful. It's less a film about racism and more a film about hypocrisy. Right. That, 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 that's how it came across yeah. to me. What's an interesting thing though to me that they weren't worried about was I think they mentioned in the film that he's 37 and she's 23 and no one's at all worried about that aspect of it. Right. Well, not only that, but does, doesn't his dad say, oh, that's a perfect age difference. Like women age quicker than men or <laughs> yes, something. Yes, he does he say says that. that yeah, yeah, he says that's a great thing. And I'm like, yeah, I don't it's know. It's yeah. weird. Such a, a great and powerful film. With the exception of one scene, doesn't ruin the movie for me. But when the butcher delivery guy comes and delivers and he gets out of the van and he's dancing. <laughs> Is it Woody Harrelson? It's not, unfortunately. They do this 1960s beat thing. Yeah, I, it's, it's weird. Like, it's like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. But the, there's just music playing and they're dancing in the driveway. And it's super <laughs> awkward. But and, well, and he, they may have happened in the 70s or 60s. We weren't there. Right. But it's, it's, no it's also two characters that, that don't really matter in the movie at all. <laughs> well, it, 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 seems like an, it seems like what they're trying to say, because what he, what he does, he's, he's, he's a white guy and, right. and there's a black woman who works in the kitchen and they start dancing together. And I guess it's supposed to show us that young people are cool and hip and okay with. Yeah, that there's nothing weird about it. Was it was weird. But, I, it was a uh, strange like shoehorning in of a message. Yeah. Um, the, the problem I had with with this relationship was more that she was so annoying. She was pretty. I annoying. was like, Sydney Poitier, you can do so much better than this. Go find someone <laughs> else. Like find someone who's not aggravating. Like I, I, I didn't want them to be together for that reason. But he that was might my, be into aggravating. I don't know. He because he's like a he's like a brilliant doctor. It's like how did he put up with her? And this is Catherine Hepburn's actual niece. 
Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. At the end of this film, the character who has had the most intense struggle is uh, Joey's father, Spencer Tracy's character. And he gives this famous speech where he's basically going to tell his daughter and her fiance the decision he's reached and whether they'll have his blessing. And this is the this is the climax of the movie. Because in the final analysis, it doesn't matter damn what we think. The only thing that matters is what they feel and how much they feel for each other. And if it's half of what we felt. That's everything. Uh, it's a wonderful moment and it's made all the more impactful when you realize that this was basically the last thing Spencer Tracy did in his life. Uh, his health was failing throughout the film and he was dead within about 48 hours of this scene being shot. Whoa, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I had read that he was in such bad health, insurance companies would not insure him That's for correct. this film. And so Catherine Hepburn and director uh, Kramer, was Stanley it? Kramer, Stanley Kramer, put their salaries up as escrow mm-hmm. towards his, mm-hmm. wow. uh, yeah. I think it's got some of the, the most well-written speeches in it. Mm-hmm. Of, of any movie I've seen. I mean, John's speech to his father and John's mom's speech to Joey's father. Yes. Really the- powerful. And and my favorite one, although less um, important, I, or, but still important, is Joey's mom to the woman who works for mm-hmm. her when she tells her to get lost yeah. is incredible. It's not that I don't want to know you, even though I don't. <laughs> right. It's something like that. I'm glad you brought up the the speech, the, the conversation between John and his father. Sidney Poitier mm-hmm. plays John. The, it deals with this theme that I don't think I've ever seen dealt with before in a film, before or since, which is where John's father is telling him, you basically owe me because I worked my ass off for years mm-hmm. to, to support you, and now you're going to throw it all away by marrying somebody of another race. He actually knows the amount of miles that yeah. he walked as a mailman. And Sidney Poitier wow. stands up to him and says, I don't owe you anything. You were my father. By having me, you you immediately had a debt to me. Right. So I don't owe you a thing back for that. And that was such a fascinating conversation, mm-hmm. interplay, and idea that, like I said, I don't think I've ever seen that dealt with anywhere yeah. else in the film. Sidney Poitier was 40 during the filming of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Playing a 37-year-old? I didn't buy it. Yeah, that's a big jump. Was that yeah. was that the extent of your research on this film? You looked up Sidney Poitier's age? Jordan, you're number two. Aha, uh-huh, number two. Harold and Maude, Hal Ashby's 1971 masterpiece, which is the tale of a death-obsessed young man named Harold, living with his extremely wealthy mother. Harold fills his time staging elaborate suicide scenes for his mom to walk in on. So great. Oh, Every one so of those scenes is amazing. I could have I watched two hours of that. Oh, me too. Yeah. Absolutely. He also visits uh, the funerals of strangers. It's at one of these funerals that Harold meets Maude, a freewheeling spirit, 60 years his senior. They begin a friendship of adventure and exploration. Equal parts hilarious, quirky, and deeply moving, Harold and Maude is about learning how to love, opening oneself up to love where it finds you, and finding yourself in the process. Beyond the beautiful romantic love story of the unlikely Harold and Maude, lies a deeper truth for me personally. Part of me relates and identifies with Harold. I'm naturally inclined to music and movies and whatnot that is death. dark and sinister and death-filled yeah. and gory. It's just kind of you. Mm-hmm. I love to celebrate the, mor- the morbid and the sordid, and I'm a person, obviously, that thinks Natural Born Killers is a supremely romantic film. <laughs> But the other half of me anxiously seeks opportunity to go out. To nail older chicks. <laughs> <laughs> I have always liked older women. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lance. No, the other half of me uh, anxiously seeks opportunity to go out and to live to the fullest, to seek adventure, to stand up for humanity and decency, and to bring laughter and joy to the people around me. Yeah, what's your saying? Live, live fast, die old? Yep, always. Can you do both? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm trying. 
Uh, tell I'm, me, tell I, me how that goes. I've made it to 35. That's all right. It's pretty old. I'm not 43 like you guys yet, but <laughs> we're getting there. Not 43. 43. Uh, this seems an unlikely split uh, with not much of a connection between them. And yet, here I am. Hear me roar. <laughs> <laughs> What just, what just happened? I don't know. Quite well. a roar. <laughs> and so Harold and Maude is, in a sense, a love story between me and me. It teaches me how to reconcile myself with um, What the f*** with are myself. you saying? How to be grounded, yeah, but I've also... I've had a couple of those love stories before. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> how to be grounded, but also we holding on... We trouble in high school for doing that. <laughs> By who? Right. Pause this. Let's hear this story. Wait, hang on. When, 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 when were you doing this, Gibby? Were you like in the middle of history like class? class? Yeah. Oh, Mike Glenn did not like yeah, it. Yeah. Our school, our school was so overbearing. <laughs> they wouldn't let you do that in the middle of class. <laughs> I have no idea what I was talking about. You said love myself. Or oh, yeah. Like that. It teaches me how to reconcile myself with myself, how to be grounded, but also holding on to some of that youthful idea of loving exuberance. As Maude says at one point, The earth is my body. My head is in the stars. Who said that? I don't know. What is more romantic than balancing the energy of youth with the wisdom of maturity, than learning from your experiences to then love more fully, to learn to love yourself so that you can be your best for someone else? All of this is summed up for me as Harold is desperately declaring his love for Maude, and she reaches up and touches him and replies, Oh, Harold. That is You um you mentioned you used the word unlikely a couple of times and I don't mm-hmm. know that there is a better word to describe this film. The the greatest miracle of Harold Mott is that it got made at all. Yeah, I, I don't know how this movie made it through the layers you have to get through to get a film made in Hollywood. It seems like the first studio exec who saw in the synopsis kid falls in love with elderly woman would how have said. Is, nope. How old is Harold in this? Twenty. Okay, so, so it's not like he's underage. Right. No, but it's he's a twenty year old and like an eighty year old. <laughs> right, yeah. And and we're not and w- let's be clear we're not saying they spend a lot of time together and go to museums like they fall in love right they have sex yeah yeah, there was originally a scene of Harold and Maude making love, which thankfully they did cut because no one uh, wants to see that. Yeah, a compromise was made where Hal Ashby wanted it in there. He wanted to see the like basically the two kinds of flesh up against each other. We got it. We got what you're doing. But um, and we I think, went we went to high school. Oh, okay. We had very different high school experiences. <laughs> we went to the same high school. Did we see a lot of elderly flesh? Yeah, did they show us that? Why don't it? I I think that Hal Ashby was able to have final cut on the film because he cut that scene. Mm, got it. Hal Ashby was I think very much the predecessor to Wes Anderson. Yeah. Well um, that's what I was going to say. I found this movie after Wes Anderson came about and I was like oh who influenced this guy because clearly he's got strong influences. I don't know who these people are and Hal Ashby that's, that's was one of them. That's who it is. So I, I, I watched this movie a, a while back. For me it just I, I got all the references and I got oh I see what like where Wes Anderson got this and it was really stylized and cool but I just didn't connect with this. I, that's because you I, like I to rob that. the cradle I think. Yeah. yeah. I went the other way. <laughs> I'm Maude. You're a Maude. Yeah, you're a Maude. You don't need to watch it through that lens. Yeah, you're looking at it the wrong way. 
Yeah, he's got so much Wes Anderson, you know, preview in him. And, you know, this, this ability to quickly shift gears and go back and forth between intensely heartfelt moments and these quirky comedic moments. The, the film to me has two very specific components to it. And one is the the romance aspect of it. And the other part of it is the comedy aspect of it. And you could kind of say the same thing about Wes Anderson. He, they, they blend them very well. And, and I think I, what I would say is I connected more with the comedy aspect of it than I did mm-hmm. the love story of it. But I really admired the yeah. love story aspect of it because it was such a risk to take yeah. to try and do that. And then to have it work and pull it off. I mean, I think it's hard to, it's hard for most people probably to relate mm-hmm. with the love story, which is why they made it so funny. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. it is, I was laughing. You I had, you had to, you had to, you could, so funny. you could not make a serious film about right. this because yeah. it would be t- way too unrelatable. But just for me, as I relate so deeply with both of these characters mm-hmm. that it, the love story really works. So this me. is on both AFI's uh, hundred years, hundred laughs and AFI's hundred years, hundred passions. Hmm. So you get some backup there, Jordan. Thank you. It's nice to have a little backup sometimes. Ruth Gordon is is amazing in this. Mm -hmm. She's 75 when they shot it. Wow. Mm -hmm. I read some interviews with her, and she she is very much mod. And she was coming off. She had just won an Oscar for Rosemary's Baby, Mm -hmm. um, which is a pretty different movie. Pretty heavy shift there. Mm -hmm. She played the baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. All right, Gibby, your number two. So my number two film is the 1934 Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Actress winning picture of It Happened One Night. First movie to do that. Yep. What year? 1934. What do they call that if you get all five? It's a Grand Slam. Grand Slam. Uh, This was directed by Frank Capra, and in it, uh, it stars Clark Gable as Peter, a drunken and recently fired reporter who runs into the story of a lifetime when he happens to grab a seat in a bus from Miami, New York, next to Ellie, played by Claudette Colbert. She's a spoiled heiress. Heiress? Nope. Heiress. Heiress? I was about to say Iris. A spoiled heiress. (laughs) Wouldn't have been right. (laughs) I didn't say it right anyway. (laughs) What did you originally say? Harris. Harris? Harris? Like heresy? Yeah. Like Uh, Harris Why is she harassing him? It's like, (laughs) that's heiress. Oh, okay. A spoiled Ed Harris. <laughs> this is every every show. I'm always curious what the word's going to be. A spoiled heiress, right? Heiress, yeah. We should yep. call that episode Ed A Aris. spoiled daughter of a really rich person <laughs> who has run away from her father and her family to get to the big city to meet a husband who she's recently hastily married to make her father angry. So this film follows their journey north as they try to hide from her father, other reporters, other snoops, and just people. Along the way, they fight, they yell, they yep. They eventually fall in love. So a couple of things about this movie. Um, I think it pretty much sent the template for every romantic comedy. Yeah, very ever. true. I mean, it's it's a precedent. Every there are things that yeah. happen in this movie that pretty much happen in every romantic comedy yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're watching it now, if you decide to go out and watch it after my riveting take on it, um, you may <laughs> think, well, this seems pretty familiar. <laughs> But no doubt it was shockingly fresh in 1934. Uh, I think also what, the ending from Spaceballs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's where they have the ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It on. Yeah. <laughs> At the end, they stand in front of it. a weird turn. They're, they're on a sand dune and there's a giant vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> What surprised me most about it, even watching this time is just how funny it is. Um, I mean, Clark Gable is fantastic in it. And all I'd ever actually really seen Clark Gable in outside of this was Gone with the Wind. But he's a few years younger than this, and he's just so charismatic. So apparently Clark Gable was so effective in this movie that he had a major impact on the fashion industry. Anybody, yes. Anybody know about this? This is true. No? So there's a film, there's a scene in the movie. Would you like to tell it, Jordan? No. You've got it. Okay. So there's a scene in the film where he's taken off his clothes, and he takes off his suit coat and his jacket, and he takes off his... When they're filming 
filming it, he was taking off his shirt, and he had such trouble with his that. undershirt. Yeah, he had such trouble with taking off the undershirt. He just removed it. So was he just not very coordinated? He couldn't yeah, take I a shirt off. He coordinated. He, he's talking the whole time, and so yeah. he needs to get it off quickly so that he can keep his flow going. And he couldn't get it off fast enough, so they just ditched it from the scene. The sale numbers of undershirts went way down because everybody thought oh, he really? was so cool not wearing an undershirt. <laughs> wearing an undershirt. Well, part of, part of the problem is, and one thing you notice in this movie, so everybody's so damn overdressed back then. Like yeah. you yeah. couldn't leave the house without a three-piece suit on. It's it's oh, hilarious. Yeah. This movie features one of my favorite things ever, and Gibby, you were kind of just doing an impression of it. I love that 1930s like radio announcer voice. Where does it come from? I don't know. It, it's it's. <laughs> I, I don't know. I wish so. I could use this voice all the time. Like it's not an accent from somewhere. No, I don't know it? what it is, but there, there was a guy like example in this movie. There's a guy who says nothing I like more than a high class mama who can snap it back at you. The colder <laughs> they are, the hotter they get. That's what I always say. And what I'm wondering is like, were there guys like this then? Like who just walked in and talk like that yeah, all the time? How do we get them back? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Announcing our sports. Yeah. Check out the yams shows. on that hot stepper. <laughs> <laughs> It was definitely made in the 30s, and there are some, uh, I guess, <laughs> questionable actions and words towards the female character, towards Ellie, by, by yeah. both Peter and just it's everybody little, around It's a little dated. Yeah, mm. a little dated, but, I mean, nothing terrible, I guess. Gibby, I want to say I am so proud of you for, for picking this movie, because the stereotype I always per- love to perpetuate about you is that you don't watch anything before 1980. Yeah, which is wrong. And here you come in, yeah. and you pick a 1934 film. And all four of us have seen it. You've seen it? The yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, You guys. Yeah. It's amazing. I Look, if you want me to watch it, you haven't no, seen it. You were just talking about it. Yeah, you read the trivia. Yeah. Good job, <laughs> Jordan. Wow. Terrible. I totally missed a high five. I think wow. I learned a lesson uh, tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny reading the trivia of this because apparently nobody wanted to make this movie. They shot it in four weeks. Capper wasn't excited about it. When Clark Gable showed up on the first day of filming, he grimly said, let's get this over with. Uh, Claudette Corbet. Capper didn't want to be there. Yeah, like, Capper didn't want to really do uh, it. They were kind of rewriting the script throughout the whole thing. Is this one of the back when movies like took a week to film? It was like one week of their life. It was four weeks of it, and they had to like uh, loan weeks. people from other studios loaned them for this movie. Ah. Well, they wanted Betty Davis, and yeah. and the Warner Brothers wouldn't loan them. Right, her so too. They loaned them Claudette Colbert, and she only took it because they doubled her salary from twenty five thousand to fifty thousand for this movie. And her last day of filming, when she left, she said, "This was the worst film I've ever worked on." Whoops! And when wow. she won the Academy Award for Best Picture, she didn't think or Best Actress, she had thought she had no chance. She was actually apparently on a bus to go somewhere. She wasn't she there. She learned that she won, and then she ran back to. The theater. And That's hilarious. Wow. I, do, I, I do have to say, while I have praised you for this pick, I don't really love this movie. It, it never really. No, Uh-oh. no. Oh, and man. I think the reason mm. is because it, it's uh, so damn old. There's <laughs> <laughs> not even any color in it. It's gross. <laughs> what am I, 90? <laughs> um, no, I think it's. I think it goes back to something you said a minute ago, which is that it has. It was the template and it's been yeah. ripped off so many right. times that it's hard to watch True. it through a fresh lens. And I just. It, so when I watch it now, it feels. And it's totally unfair. It's just. I saw right. all the other ones first. Right. I think I think this is so much fun, though. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Great pick, Gib. That was the bee's knees. I thought so. <laughs> uh, also, since I'm keeping it really intelligent, at least, um, AFI's uh, 100 Years, 100 Passions, number 38. This movie. Guys, my number two romantic film, Juno. Hey, Hudson, do you know this movie sucks? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Juno is an easy movie to mock. Everyone got obsessed with the kind of slang and look how cute I am moments, um, but I feel like those people really missed what made the film so great. Diablo Cody won Best Original Screenplay for Juno. It was also nominated for Best Picture. To me, it was well-deserved. I think you take all the cuteness away and you'll see what a master of dialogue Diablo Cody is, and I think she's a fantastic writer uh, that she 
of one movie. That she gets that she gets a bad rap because of all the kind of outward dialogue and cutesy things. So to me, this movie and a, a lot of people don't consider this a great uh, or a romantic movie. They wouldn't call it that at all. But to me, it's a fantastic character study of three relationships. One relationship at its very beginning, Juno and Bleeker, uh, two high school students who are spun into mystery and confusion with an unexpected pregnancy. One relationship nearing its end, Vanessa and Mark, unable to conceive. Vanessa deeply wants a baby, but Mark isn't sure he wants to give up on his dreams just yet. And one relationship fully realized with Juno's father and stepmom dealing with the fact that their somewhat responsible daughter is now knocked up. And I think that's the, the romance of it is kind of at the heart of this movie, though. And I think it's the contrast between these three relationships that reveals in a very real way what makes relationships work or not work. Uh, in fact, it has my favorite bit of romantic advice I've ever heard. When Juno asks her dad if two people can stay together forever, he replies, Look, in my opinion, the best thing you can do is find a person who loves you for exactly what you are. Good mood, bad mood, ugly, pretty, handsome, what have you. The right person is still going to think the sun shines out of your ass. That's the kind of person that's worth sticking with. It's also a little gross. <laughs> Sun shining out of your ass? I mean, it sounds... It's not realistic. Sun, <laughs> yeah, sunlight, I, mean, I don't think that can happen. Sunlight yeah, clean stuff? Like, I guess so. This movie is just... It's so frustrating to me because it does so many things well and then it just it just cannot seem to get out of its own way. The dialogue was just, just like having well, acid poured in my ears. Okay, I, think the, I think if you started this movie 10 minutes into it, it wouldn't be as annoying. There's something about those right. first 10 minutes mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. set this tone before it gets into the actual story of her talking all crazy and... And, you know, what's I mean, when, name, I'm just, like, when I'm just having guy. to hear things like, oh, my blog home skillet. Like, right. like that, that is the first 10 minutes, to be fair. Yeah, it's mostly that first 10 minutes that sets the bad tone but, for but it. But she but, continues talking like that. Yeah, she does. her friend the whole time. Right. But I buy that. I buy that two teenagers would talk like that and well, have see, their I, own kind of secret I don't, like, sure. language. That, that, see, I don't. And that's my problem with this. For a film that asks us to take it as a very grounded, realistic movie, I don't hear teenagers talking like this. So I don't understand why they met this. a lot of teenagers? I don't want to talk about that. No. No, I guarantee no, I, you Diablo Cody talks like this is my guess yeah. well, or did when I, she was a teenager. I guarantee you I guess that she talks like this. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of teenagers talk in a really annoying way. It's not so much the verbiage or whatever that bothers me. It's the it's the knowledge base. Mm-hmm. It's that she knows all this stuff yes. that there's no way she would know. <laughs> but then Mark plays her some Sonic Youth and she's like, what is this weird music? Yeah. And it it just drives me yeah. crazy. I like, think it's more that yeah. she's the wisest character in the movie somehow. Right. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Because well, until she's not, though. Yeah. Until she has to lean on her dad. Mm-hmm. But that's every teenager. Well, well, every on, teenager thinks but that this, they this, know this more. Gets to, this gets to my point, though. It's like, it does do some things great. Yeah. yeah. And then it keeps doing things to just, it's like, it takes a step forward, then it just takes two steps back. Yeah, I, and I, I just felt like that over and over the again. The heart of the story works so well. It's yeah. such a unique and interesting and powerful story. I think all the emotional moments work really, really well when she tells her parents that she's pregnant it's an awesome scene Mm. done super well and i think it's because they dial back her part of it a little bit Hmm. and it just allows some emotional room in the scene where in the very next scene she's just all over if it almost feels like that new ghostbusters where it's just like she just wants (laughs) to say as many clever and funny things as possible and it it doesn't it doesn't hold any emotional value that's also part of her character is that she that's her that's her front that's her shield is being annoying being trying to know it all trying to make funny quips trying to impress people i mean that was the whole that 
that's her character. That's what she does uh, in order not to deal with the actual things that uh, she's dealing and with. And I, I understand that. I, I think I think Lance hits it with this wise thing where she actually like I understand that teenagers think that they're super wise. Right. The problem she is she's written as if wise. she is wise, right, yeah. and there's no way that she is. Yeah. Not that wise. But to get to the the your point, which right. is that this is a love story, yeah. I think is total hogwash <laughs> because it I to me so her parents' relationship and their love is very interesting to yes. me. And I buy and I buy that. And the story between Mark and whatever his wife's name is, yes. Jennifer Gardner. That's not her name in the movie, I, but I yes, think so. Vanessa. Um, Vanessa is Gardner. is very interesting and and, right. and because it plays like a, it plays like a perfect relationship on the outside, but it's falling apart right. on the inside. It's great. Yeah. But Which is what, kind of the opposite of what her parents are. But yeah. what is not earned in this movie is the relationship between Bleeker yeah. and Juno. And I'm not, and I don't completely disagree with you, but I want to talk about one moment of why I think that relationship works so well. Because essentially she kind of pushes him away and he kind of chooses to be away a little bit. Like I mean, like what two teenagers know how to deal with this situation where she's pregnant and she's giving it up and she doesn't know. But there's this moment where after she gives birth to the baby, she's at her weakest moment. Bleeker shows up, Michael Sarah's character shows mm-hmm. up and he, lays there in the hospital bed with her as she cries and to me that's the first moment where you see these two people like really connecting this love story really connecting and to me it's not a love story about them overcoming all the odds and finding each other and it's it's the very beginning of this relationship but why that's so powerful for me is that he doesn't do like what a typical teenager would do which is like make a joke or try to cheer her up he just lays there and he suffers with her so while it's she unrealistic cries. is what you're saying <laughs> No, to me, it's it's incredibly beautiful, this moment of him laying in the bed with her as she cries, holding her, and that's all that she needed in that moment. And right. it's, it's a powerful show of love I, to I don't, me. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I, I think that that part of the movie is great. I think I think from... I really, just after she professes her love to him, um, a lot of it does make sense, but yeah. but it, it's just not earned. I like this movie, but I don't see how you put it on a romantic list. Hmm. Oh, he just explained that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I don't think the romance doesn't work yeah. for me in it. Yeah, I, I, right. I agree. Lance, number two. The English Patient, 1996 Anthony Minghella film, introduces us to Hannah, a young nurse in the waning days of World War II who was tending to a badly burned plane crash victim, Count Lazio Almasi. We see his story told in flashbacks of an ill-fated love affair and how his story parallels Hannah's own romantic loss during the war. This is a personal favorite of mine, and I would argue one of the greatest films ever made. It has a very old Hollywood feel to it, and it was often compared to Lawrence of Arabia when it came out, just in terms of visuals and setting. It won nine Oscars, including Best Picture, but it hasn't really maintained the prominence it held in the few years after it came out. And Hudson, I know when we were talking earlier, you, you went back and said you were surprised at how well regarded yeah, as when it came out. because this isn't a movie that's really talked it's about not. anymore. But when it, yeah, when it came out, I mean, you can, I'll, I'm not going to steal your thunder, but it was no. nominated for... 12 awards. Yeah, 12 one, Academy Awards. Yep, yeah. so one nine of the 12. And I think the reason that it's not as talked about now can be found right there in the title, Patient. People are not very patient these days. It's oh. it's a it's a long film, two hours, 41 minutes, I yeah. believe. Yeah. And not a lot of audiences want to sit down and it's a very slow burn. It builds up to something amazing to me at the end but you have to have a little bit of patience when you watch it i actually thought i think it's amazing all the way through i was never although yeah see that's the thing too it's it's long but i don't ever find it cumbersome to get through either but a lot of people do i mean it's got action in Mm -hmm. in a sense it's got real tension and like it's not 
It's not just people sitting around talking for two and a half hours. Yeah, this this film devastates me every time I watch it. It's beautiful in every sense of the word, not just in the story it's telling, but in the imagery. And there's something amazing that happens when a story and the images through which that story is told link up in just the right way. And this is a film where at every turn we're seeing heartbreaking scenarios play out against backgrounds that are visually stunning. And I think there's something in that pairing of sadness and beauty that makes things resonate with us longer than they normally would. It has so many scenes that have always stuck with me, the pinnacle of which is a scene where Almasi is um, tragically reunited reunited with Catherine, the woman he's he loves after she's been in a terrible accident. Um, as he carries her to safety, he notices she's wearing a thimble he gave her years earlier, which shocks him because he thought she'd long since forgotten him. You're wearing the thimble. Of course. You're an idiot. I always wear it. I've always worn it. I've always loved you. See the pain that comes over Almasi's face at this realization, it, it kills us. This is a film that has no shortage of sadness. So if you're in a bad mood, probably not the best time to watch yeah. this. And it, it sets you up for sadness in this way that creates so much tension later mm -hmm. in the film, where you think that every time there's something that's going to happen, mm -hmm. it's going to be terrible. So this is for people that are in a really good mood, but they're like, I wish I was sadder. Yes, yes, <laughs> as, as we all often are. <laughs> well, it's, it's brilliant storytelling, too, because it takes these two stories and interweaves them. Mm -hmm. And, and it's so fun to watch it dance back and forth over time between these two stories and how they ultimately relate with each other. But, you know, the, the sadness of it, that's probably why it connects so strongly with me, because it deals with an aspect of love that's all often avoided in romance movies, which is what a destructive force love can become when it's not handled responsibly. The, the central thrust of the film is tied up in the story of two people who are in love with one another, but who can never be together. And that's not something most people have to experience. But again, not getting too personal. That's something I have had direct experience with in the past. And it made this movie hit home with me even harder after revisiting than it did watching it back in 1996. And it plays into an idea that, that haunts me a lot, which is the notion that some people just aren't meant to find love and that some things, no matter how right they may feel between two people, simply aren't meant to be. Hmm. This film, again, I can't speak highly enough about it. Anthony Minghella did Fantastic. incredible director. And he unfortunately, you know, he passed away a few years ago and unfortunately we didn't get to see too many of his films. He did uh, this. Well, you can watch all of them. You can see all his films. I think he still had a lot left in the tank. That he oh, had a, ton, that's what you mean. a ton left in Not the tank. Not that we didn't get to see too many of the films he made yeah no no he's made cold mountain and talented mr ripley which are Ugh. two of my talented mr ripley, Ta mr. ripley. he has such a great sense of style yeah. and mm -hmm. he, he interjects script. beauty into every frame and 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 again I, I i talk about movie music a lot if you love film soundtracks the english patient soundtrack is stunning that's yeah, great and it is edited Amazing. so well there are transitions between the two storylines both in sound and in vision that are so cool mm-hmm yeah, it is very much a shame to me that this film is not more viewed and talked mm -hmm. about today. And, and I hope, you know, years from now that it will start to get kind of a revival because mm -hmm. it is very well deserved. Number 56 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Passions. Mm. So does that mean Lance wins? Is it is his the highest? Uh, he's got another one that's coming up. It's going to oh, be yeah. even uh -huh. higher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jordan, you're number one. All right. I'm going to talk about a little movie called When Harry Met Sally. It is the ultimate period. So good. Perhaps the most brilliant gem in Rob Reiner's directorial career. Basically, Harry and Sally meet and then we we follow them for the next 12 years and three months. The movie is an exploration of the relationships between men and women, and to its great credit, not just romantic relationships. And that's why this movie works so impeccably. Usually, romantic movies seem bent on appealing to our dreams and fantasies about romance.
plans, not what is based in our common reality. And so When Harry Met Sally could only be as good as it was real and relatable, and it succeeds magnificently. I think largely because so many of the story elements are rooted in events that actually occurred in the filmmakers' lives. Also, there's no effort to make these characters flawless, to make them some mirage of perfect love. Unlike so many of its genre colleagues, the intention of this movie was never about the ending. The journey wasn't a clever setup means to an end. Instead, it's a searching for answers, an experiment, essentially a research project into our relationships. Mm. And I think we come out the other end with an understanding of patience and an appreciation for the journey and that what we thought was the height of love and romance early on was just the start of a bridge to a lasting foundational romance. So the, so the nature of film as a medium presents a structural challenge specifically for romance movies, which is that you've only got like 90 minutes to play with, but in such a short time frame, you've got to see this falling in love process happen, mm-hmm. which is not a 90 minute process. And it's got to be done convincingly. And I think mm-hmm. this is why Hollywood is often forced to, for lack of a better word, lie to us about how romantic love works. And they just don't have much time to work with. So we end up with movies about two 20 year olds falling in love after knowing each other for one night and living happily ever after. And that's mm-hmm. not a healthy message, nor is it an accurate message. This film felt like maybe the healthiest and most realistic thing that Hollywood has ever said about romance. And and that it's not always quick, that you can't just think someone is hot and fall in love with them, and that friends truly do make great great life partners. And that's why it stands out in its genre so well. And it gets around that structural challenge by playing with timelines. So over a series of 12 years, we drop in on these two people's lives from an almost, you know, godlike perspective and watch them slowly learning to love each other. And those actors are so good, you buy it. Exactly. Even though he's way older than a college student, you kind of buy the way they're playing. It's good hair piece. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, and part of that too is not just telling the main story, but the little vignettes. Oh, the vignettes. <laughs> no, the vignettes. <laughs> vignettes. Yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, of the older couples mm-hmm. telling their stories. That's so great. That right. it not only plays with time of the actual couple that we're watching, mm-hmm. but you see this kind of future view of older couples, yes. mm-hmm. which I think was just brilliant and really made it so grounded in such a larger story than just what you were watching. Yeah. Which all of those are real. They're actual. Those are. That's amazing. I had no idea. They were played by actors, but they originally filmed the actual people telling their stories. And part of where this movie came out of in the first place was Reiner uh, asked, I think, a friend of his dad's. How'd you meet? What, I, he was he was hanging out with some an older couple, and and the the man was super quiet. And then he asked him like, "How did you meet your wife?" And the man just came alive. And Reiner was like, "Well, well, this is yeah. this needs to happen." That's cool. So they, they ended up reshooting all of the those stories with actors who were a little better on camera. But um, but yeah, all real. And one of them is the story of one of his dad's best friends. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's often been said that the, the, the best marriages start as friendships. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, for me, again, for me personally, the one person I fell in love with was somebody I was friends with for years. I mean, I don't think that's a coincidence. Right. Well, um, the, the, the pitch behind this movie is can men and women be friend if they're not in a relationship, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and the, where it falls is kind of like it's required to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, 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 which is a great solution right. at yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is unquestionably the greatest romantic comedy ever made. Yeah. And, and I had not, I don't know that I, have, I had ever actually seen this from start to finish until this past week and wow, it just really? stunned really? It, it just stunned me yeah, yeah. It's, it's so I just good. I just after I mean it, it affected me the rest of the day because it was so great okay here's my thing I love this movie I think it's perfect I Uh-oh. don't like what you're doing right Uh-oh. now I love Billy Crystal stop Uh oh but don't go there don't do what you're gonna do you? I always want it to be Tom Hanks 
Why? Oh. No. I feel like it would be a better movie no. with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is no. not. So I think he could do it. Billy Crystal. Well, Tom Hanks can do it because he can do everything. <laughs> You're like we just need to give Hanks a shot. I, yeah. no, he can do it, guys. Yeah. I, I just, call him. I really like Tom Hanks, and I I think he's I think he's a great actor. I think he's a great comedic actor. But Billy Crystal brought a lot yeah. of okay. The dialogue. Here, here's to my this case. Like yes, you're right. That Tom you're Hanks right. Yeah. Pull here's up. here's here's my case okay. against it is that I feel like Billy Crystal sometimes in this movie is not acting, but he's doing a comedy bit. Yes. Which I get. That's the point. Yeah. It's a romantic but comedy. I, I think that's his character, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it doesn't. True. It doesn't detract though. So if Juno can it be the right. character that you're saying she is, then Billy Crystal can definitely be this. I don't. I just in an alternate universe, I would love to see a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. Well, let's remake it. Well, Sleepless in Seattle. You've got Joe versus Volcano. This is starting to feel like four women fighting about film. Y'all, I so want to see Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. So, so where this comes together for me personally is that my first movie was what I wanted so much when I was young, super young, and then I got to know myself with Harold and Maude. Kill people? No, I wanted that. I wanted that. Going on a killing spree with yeah, I get it. Burning love, and then. Uh, my wife and I's relationship was on and off for time and we were yeah. friends for part of that time and it got complicated for part of that time and uh, it, it doesn't it didn't take 12 years and 3 months but it took a while and it's very much founded on friendship and that's yeah Reiner talks about how about the orgasm scene yeah where Nora Ephron's like oh I fake orgasms and so we should put that <laughs> in there and Rob Reiner's like no you no yeah, nobody I does that nobody yeah. does that so Reiner <laughs> goes out and like asks a bunch of his friends and they're all like yeah I'd totally do that and so that, that's why they decided to put it yeah. in yeah. also funny tidbit Meg Ryan, the first couple takes of that, like wasn't bringing it. So Reiner like sat down in the chair across from Billy Crystal and did it himself. And as everyone knows, <laughs> his mom right. was on set yeah. that day and delivers the funniest line. But he was so into his job that he sat down, did it a couple times, and then realized that his mom just watched him have an <laughs> orgasm a few times. Wish I could do a Rob Reiner impression, I can't. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> AFI's 100 Year 100 Passions. Number one. Number 25. Oh, pretty, pretty good. good. 25. 25. Yeah. Pretty good. I can't think of 24 romance movies that are better than this. No, I can't right. either. Yeah. I can think of one that's worse. Well, you got to remember. Ooh, it's, it's segue. segue. <laughs> Gibby. Gibby. You're number one. I, I want to give a preview here. This is going to be the most contentious yep. segment maybe ever on the history of. It's not because I, really I agree with Gibby. I agree with Gibby. Right. I love this No, movie. you guys but don't too. actually agree, which <laughs> I think we're going to get into. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. My number one most romantic film pick is the 2007 romantic comedy starring Katherine Heigl, 27 Dress. <laughs> Follows a lady who no, goes to 27 weddings. Great. I don't know. Stuff happens. Not, not, not true. All right. So my real number one pick is the 2004 uber romantic film, The Notebook, directed by Nick Cassavetes, starring Ryan Gosling, Rachel ah. McAdams, and an incredible James Gardner and Cassavetes' own mother, Gina Rollins. Can you hear the wind going over my mic from me shaking my head so much? No, from the romance the in the air. The wind from my romantic sigh. Yeah. So uh, I'd like to break that wind. I mean, obviously, everybody has seen this movie. 
Because it's incredible. Except for Lance and Jordan, who both just watched it this yeah, week. Yeah, just watched it this week. Yeah, well, we sure did. So, so a quick synopsis. Uh, in the film, Gosling stars as a poor country boy named Noah who falls in love with McAdams' icy upper-class princess. The movie takes place in three different periods of time. First, when they are falling in love as late teenagers. Ten years later, after, or some years later, after McAdams is engaged to some handsome fella. And then 70 years later, in a nursing home. So these nursing home scenes, they kind of frame the movie. In it, James Garner plays Duke a doting husband to a wife who is succumbing to Alzheimer's. He reads her stories daily from, quote unquote, the notebook, which in her own words are the story of her love of her young life. This notebook tells the story of young Allie, who's played by McAdams, falling in and out of love and in back in love and out of love and in love with Noah. So the notebook. You about to start over? (laughs) I think... I tell think me this again, just, Gibby. Tell yeah. me again. Tell us the story again, Kyle. <laughs> I think this is just a... There's no denying that this film is romantic. Uh, there's romance and there's love in this film. And you can say what you want, and you will say what you want. Are we going to debate that? I think we're just debating whether <laughs> yeah. it's a good film about romance. <laughs> no, no. We're just, I, think okay. it's, I think it's about romance, yeah. Yeah, sure. so it's romantic. Uh, and you can say what you want about it, crazy and unreasonable we will. example or expectation of love. Uh, but I disagree. So first of all, guys, it's a movie. <laughs> Sometimes movies are allowed to present an idealized love story. Uh, and secondly, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think in any way that this movie show that love and life and falling in and out of love is easy. You know, there's some super intense arguments and fights in this movie like there are in life. But that's just what they do. They just fight. That's what we that's what we do. What's your name? We fight. <laughs> you tell me when I'm being a dumbass and I tell you when you're being annoying. I actually love that line. Sure. I of it. <laughs> okay, it's, so it's by far not the worst line in the movie. Because uh, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. I mean, I just think that people actually get hurt in this film. I Give mean, me, there's repercussions to the arguments. And the I'm on your side fight. on this one. I love The Notebook as a movie. I think it's very... Basically, I think this movie probably ruined relationships for every single girl out there who expected their boyfriend to act like Noah Calhoun does. This is not a feather in its cap, what you're saying here. <laughs> I mean, I think that what you were saying, you're like, this is a movie. This is a romantic story. It is a very romantic story. It's, it's a great story. It's a couple overcoming the odds. It's a guy fighting for a girl over. I mean, it's like the, um, what's the Bible character? Uh, uh, Jacob, Jacob and Rachel, (laughs) where he works for her for seven years or whatever. Right. He like builds her this house. He Mm -hmm. creates, it's a guy who does, who has no other purpose in life than to to serve a girl. Yeah. Which is romantic and it makes for an interesting movie. It's bullshit. You're correct. You're, <laughs> cor- you're correctly boy. right. And these are the types of movies that ruined relationships for me for years because I thought this is what it was. I thought like, oh, if if you don't win over the girl, you just keep working at it, and it'll all work out in the end. Right. And, and it's not true. But as a movie, I think it's great. I think it works. I think it's romantic. I think it's special. You want to believe in this kind of stuff, even though it doesn't happen in the real world. I don't. I don't want to believe in this stuff. <laughs> I don't want to believe that that there are people out there with no identity other than to just spend their entire lives like building a house, waiting for this woman to yeah. hopefully come back. Yeah. I mean, that sucks. Yeah. It sucks in real life. It sucks in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> this film messed with my head a little bit. And, and I, I, I watched it for the first time this past week, which apparently I'm the last person in America to have seen it. Yeah. Cause I you watched the, it the day before you were you. the second to last. <laughs> yeah. If, if we're going to objectively judge a film by whether it hit the target, it's trying to hit, you have to say this was a great film. It's often relegated to the category of romantic fluff, but I can't fully agree with that because it doesn't satisfy itself with hap- happily, 
happily ever after. It takes us into the gritty realities of what's involved in happily ever after. And that that surprised me. Th- those last 15 minutes do not pull any punches. And it, no. gets, it gets brutal. And that stuff I really respected because it felt like it was going down a very predictable path. But I don't think it's unhappy. Really? I think it's, it's a pretty romantic no. end. It's, I think it's, 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 it's very bittersweet. Romantic. It's bittersweet. I don't it's, think it's bittersweet. They're old. She's suffering. He's yeah. suffering. And it's the most romantic way you can. Well, are we spoiling it? It's the most romantic way you can die. Yeah. In the absolutely. arms of I your mean, loved one. The, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I don't think it's unhappy. I think it's, it's the way beautiful. that they would want to yeah. die. And yeah. the scene, and so to be happy. clear, if you, if you haven't seen the film, um, they're standing by a lake and he tells her to look out over the lake and he tells her, um, you know, tell me the story about tending the rabbits. And he puts a gun to her head yeah. and he kills her. Yeah. Um, and then he skins her. He puts it's on brutal. her, he yeah. puts on her yeah. skin and then no. kills himself. Yeah, here's, here's the other thing I want to say. It's, so so that, that's that's if you're going to look at it objectively. Subjectively, I also have to judge a movie based on where it reaches me personally. Mm. And this movie actually kind of pissed me off in a oh, way. Here's my 50 texts you sent to his <laughs> Shut up. That was so annoying. And, and, I, and I have to say, as, as kind of a cynical, heartbroken <laughs> like person who will probably die alone, it, it, was, it felt like this movie was taunting me with something that I wish I could have, but I can't. Yeah. And in that regard, it felt cruel and misleading, and this movie can go f*** itself. <laughs> I mean, it, it is, it is in a way saying you, man, this is, this is your purpose. Like this is the ultimate that you can be Yeah. in, in a way. And I, I think, I think James Garner is great in this movie. Yeah. I liked his character and I think he's cool. I thought the last 15 minutes were great. I thought they were powerful. I just didn't need all of the other stuff. I wish that it had just been about the old couple. If, if you were a person in a like loving, relate loving, happy relationship, I get why you would love this movie, but if you're but am, if you're not, like or if you want it to be, no. See, I, that I don't agree with. I, to me, this movie—I mean, I hate to like speak in hyperbole here, but it was kind of dangerous, almost. Like it yeah. felt like they were selling something that probably had some damage on people. Yeah. I mean, in as much as a film can can damage people, but I, I think it, I think it was kind of again. I, I don't want to like overstate it, but it felt almost irresponsible in a way. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I hundred yeah. percent agree with you. This movie—I don't want to say single-handedly, but but. I'm influenced by movies. A lot of my life, yeah. I feel like I'm living out. It sounds really pathetic, but I feel like I'm living out scenes in movies. Yeah. I try to write my own. It's whatever. No, I, 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 I get it. I, <laughs> yeah. I seriously so, get it. But like to me, this was, this was it. This is what you do to make a relationship work. This is how you make it happen. And it was very damaging for me in particular relationships. Is the ultimate goal that you, you finally have this night of passionate sex with the woman <laughs> and she turns to you in the morning and she says, you've got to be kidding me. All this time, that's what I've been missing. Let's do it again. <laughs> now that happens every night in my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> like that, there were there were lines like that in this that I just like. Yeah. What, what are yeah. the, what are they trying to do here? Okay, but then there's lines like this. Look at us, we're already fighting. Well, that's what we do. We fight. You tell me when I'm being an arrogant son of a, and I tell you when you're being a pain in the ass, which you are, ninety nine percent of the time. I'm not afraid to hurt your feelings. They have like a two-second rebound rate, and you're back doing the next pain in the ass thing. So what? So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever 
you and me every day. <laughs> and and that's a great line for a movie. Yeah. But but oh, when you great. but yeah. when you break it down, yeah. In truth, they only knew each other for one summer, <laughs> and they fought most of the time. And <laughs> yeah. their parents didn't want them to be together, which makes them <laughs> want to be together. This, yeah. this goes this goes back a little bit when I was talking about the challenge of romantic films mm-hmm. and, and time structure. It, it, it does. It sets up a very unrealistic, unhealthy message to people and to a culture that is starved for love and wants acceptance. And in that regard, that that's where the dangerousness of it comes into play for me a little bit. All right. My number one most romantic film, <clears throat> Shadowlands, 1993 film, the true story of the British author, professor, and lifelong bachelor, C.S. Lewis, played by Anthony Hopkins, brilliantly, by the yeah, way. Spoiler alert about the bachelor part. <laughs> <laughs> and his relationship with Jewish communist divorced single mom and American poet, Joy Davidman, played by Deborah Winger, nominated for performance here. C.S. Lewis is best known for his Narnia books, but equally famous for his writings about faith. I love looking over at your screen whenever we're doing these segments, Gibby, and you've got the movie up on IMDb because I feel like it's like the first time you've <laughs> looked at anything about oh, it. Like, wait, what about? is this? What is this? Oh, uh, it looks cool. I always assume he's playing Minesweeper. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah Winger, uh, man, Deborah Winger's so great. The Wing? What uh, happened to the Wing? I don't know. She, I don't know where is the Wing. She's she actually died. on a Netflix show now. Oh, now I thought she I died. No, does she Winger do that thing where die. she turns her head all the way around? In the she's film? on a Netflix show with Ashton Kutcher <laughs> and uh, Sam what? Elliott. She's not. I don't exorcist. know about it. No, that's Linda, Linda Blair. Linda oh. Blair. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so nobody knows what happened yeah. to the Wing. Terms of Endearment. I said she's on a Netflix show with Ashton Kutcher and Sam Elliott. She died. I don't. There's a lot of conflicting theories. We'll just pretend that. All right. So C.S. Lewis was known as Jack to his friend. So Jack struck up a platonic friendship with Joy in his late 50s, and the two were married for convenience so that she could stay in England. Shortly thereafter, she was diagnosed with cancer, and along the way, the two realized their love for each other. Uh, and they so they spent the next few years together. And since she was dying, as they exchanged vows for a second time after the convenience time, once they'd fallen in love, in the hospital till death do us part, takes on extra special meaning for them. It's the story of a man set in his ways who believes that everything in life can be experienced by reading a book, that suffering only exists so God can get our attention, and that life is just a stopover on the way to heaven. And personally, in my life, this is a lot of my, you know, teenage years, I kind of was very solid in my faith. And I was very, you know, having gone through uh, both C.S. Lewis and I lost a parent at a young age. And there's a lot of things I related to to him. He's kind of a shy and awkward type of guy. But this is a man who made his living on unshakable beliefs. But then joy comes into his life and she challenges everything he holds dear. Um, and a lot of humor comes out of the clash of their two personalities. But it's it's such a unique love story in that it isn't driven by sex or the physical, but more a mental and spiritual connection as the two of them challenge each other. So there's not like a scene where they're having sex and he's doing all these like Narnia references during the sex. <laughs> like, I want what your Turkish delight. <laughs> he, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't tap that ass land. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, you guys are just... Bringing it. <laughs> Bringing grade A comedy is what we're doing. <laughs> in one of our episodes, Hudson, the question came up, what historical figure we'd want to hang out with? And you said C.S. Lewis, and he's yeah. probably mine too. Yeah. Uh, one of the great thinkers of the 20th century and his writings have had a very profound impact on my life. And a topic he often dealt with was human suffering. Lewis has a famous quote where he says, if only this toothache would go away, I could write another chapter on the problem of pain. And what he's saying there is that it's easy to sit up high in the ivory towers of academia and rationalize pain as an abstract concept. But it's quite another thing to deal with suffering yourself in a way that will yep. invariably overwhelm 
any logical response to pain. So how interesting to see a movie about a man dealing with that struggle and that difference between writing a book about pain as opposed to living it in his own life. And it's it's a heartbreaking and beautiful thing. Yeah. And this is a guy very late in his life. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was he only lived, I think, three years after she did he before did. he died. He yeah. actually died the same day John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was so JFK really stole the news. I know. I yeah. know. It's very unfair. Yeah. All of them just waited a day. <laughs> yeah. So Lewis was he was good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So is J.R.R. Tolkien in this? <laughs> he is not. He's not. The character's not in this. I, I, I thought he would be too because yeah. they do all these scenes at the pub where he's kind of, you, you get this idea of C.S. Lewis and this is another thing I felt real connection to where he's around these academics mm-hmm. but he's talking about the magic of like Narnia and stuff and they mm-hmm. kind of make fun of him for it. Jerks. Uh, and so I believe Tolkien was a part of that group uh, but, uh, but then they, in real was, life. Everybody would have just been making fun of him too and it would have oh, probably yeah, stolen yeah. from, <laughs> right. from yeah. C.S. Lewis's spotlight. True. Random question. What's J.R.R. stand for? Uh, uh, Judge Reinhold, Reinhold, <laughs> Judge, Judge Reinhold, Reinhold, Reinhold Tolkien. Yeah, that's it. So Judge Reinhold is n- named after Tolkien. <laughs> Judge Reinhold, Reinhold. Right. Yeah. Well, Judge Reinhold, Reinhold. He's, yeah. a, ju- he's a junior. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So the title Shadowlands refers to Lewis's belief that we live in the shadows and that the sunshine is just around the corner. But in this life, we're always striving for something more. But through the course of this relationship with Joy, he realizes that life can be lived and loved right where we are. Twice in that life. I've been given the choice as a boy and as a man. The boy chose safety, the man chooses suffering. The pain now is part of the happiness then. That's the deal. To me, you don't really know what you believe until you your beliefs are challenged and mm-hmm. this is the first time and it's kind of a, a back and forth between them in the movie this it, he surrounded himself by people that never challenged him mm-hmm. and so she comes in and challenges him and changed his life yeah and I mean one of the most powerful moments in too I mean this is not a oh here's a challenge I deal with it easily I mean there are moments where he breaks down yeah and it is incredible to watch yeah, yeah, yeah. but he didn't become a communist Jew did he <laughs> he did not no. I don't believe so okay. no, no. they'd never agreed on that okay <laughs> um, s- stepping outside of the film for a second I, I, I want to say to Richard Attenborough is a director who I think does not get enough credit and and I think part of the reason is he didn't have a long catalog of films uh, he really only did a f- I think he only did 12 films total among them Gandhi is a very oh, a wonderful film this and Chaplin uh, Chaplin to me has always been an incredibly underrated oh. film yeah he's mostly just known as being the guy from Jurassic Park but yeah. mm-hmm. he, he was an actor in other movies and he, he did some wonderful directing jobs and I really wish we'd gotten to see more from him welcome uh, to Shadowlands sped no expense here at the Shadowlands <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lance, number one. City Lights, the 1931 Charlie Chaplin film. This is a bit of a milestone here on Four Friends Fight About Film. This is the first silent film we'll be talking about. So we is won't really? be yeah, we won't be playing a lot of clips. Or talking about it. Yeah, so I'm talking just about like it. You. So I, I pick a movie from 1934 and you're like, I gotta beat it. I'm gonna pick 1931. <laughs> I went back three <laughs> years. Gonna, the oldest I know, movie. I know. <laughs> Jerk. I'm sorry. That does make it difficult to talk about though, because you can't play clips. You can't like talk about things that happen <laughs> on screen. Let's play a clip from the movie right now. <laughs> it's not a video <laughs> game. <laughs> I mean, it's not. All right. So City Lights tells the story of Chaplin's famous character, the tramp, as he falls in love with a blind flower girl. She has no idea who he is, but he goes on a journey to collect the money she would need for an operation to restore her sight. So in 1931, Charlie Chaplin had a bit of a problem. His career had been wildly successful and his tramp character was at one point considered the most recognizable image in the world. But it had all been built on the backs of silent films and now sound films were relegating silent ones to the dustbin. He was pressured to make this a sound film, but he wanted to prove that silent films 
could still be every bit as effective as films with sound. The result was a film that AFI ranked as the number one romance of all time, the number 11 film overall. Prominent directors Orson Welles and Stanley Kubrick have listed it among their favorite films, and Charlie Chaplin himself called it the favorite of all his films. The Tramp is a good-hearted outcast, and, and, the, and the only reason he can form a relationship with this woman is because she can't see him. She doesn't know he's homeless and poor, and through a series of circumstances, she's actually come to believe that he's rich. So it raises this question. If she sees him, will she continue to love him? And the Tramp knows this is a risk, but he loves her too much not to take that risk. And this deals with something we rarely see in film, that selfless aspect of love in which a person cares more about the person they love than the relationship itself. He knows by helping her, he's likely going to end the relationship, but he's willing to make that sacrifice. This leads to the pinnacle of the film, a scene that, if we were to do a show on greatest film scenes, would easily make my list. So, spoiler alert, the tramp succeeds. Uh, she gets her operation, and she can now see. But he's lost everything in his crusade to help her. And years later, he, he comes across her again, and now she can see. She does not recognize him. She touches his face and realizes who he is. She doesn't recoil, but takes his hand. I get pretty close to crying every time I see that <laughs> scene. Um, and this is, a, this is a moment that is all images, no words, beautiful music, and, and a lot like Wally. I think these two films have that in common, that it mm. really goes back to those basics of filmmaking, showing us things. And Woody Allen had a great line about this, which is that he said, without saying a word, this is a film that says so much more about love than other films that just prattle on and on about it. And that gets to the heart of what the film medium that's is supposed what, to do. That's what Woody Allen said, the guy who, who prattles, <laughs> who prattles on, on, and on and on about love. Yeah, it's, it, awesome. it was kind of odd that he said that. Was he talking that. about his stepdaughter when he said that? Uh, I, I knew you were going to go there. You were going to go there. Um, you see, Woody Allen was dating his stepdaughter. <laughs> he was much younger. Please tell the whole... <laughs> story i'm making this film sound so so this is a charlie chaplin film he's known for comedies and this movie is really funny 90 percent of the film is hilarious and it's got so many great comic moments that are basically as the tramp is going from place to place to try to earn money and help the flower girl i mean it's things like like there, there's this one moment where he's at a party and he accidentally swallows a whistle and, and every time he hiccups the whistle blows and there's this opera singer who's trying to perform for the party and he, he can't because he keeps interrupting so the tramp goes outside he accidentally hails a, a, a taxi. Uh, a bunch of dogs come up to him because they're hearing the whistle, and he finally yeah. goes back in, and all the dogs follow him in. It's just like it's simplistic stuff yeah. like that, but it's so great. Well, it's so brilliant that they take every bit like to the ultimate level. Yeah, yeah. They, the scene that I love in this is the boxing scene. That's where, that's one of the most famous scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is brilliant. The idea was, that, yeah, we'll play a club. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, the, the the boxing scene Hudson's talking about is um he he is he's agreed to fight in a boxing match, and he's he's small. He knows he's going to get killed, but he needs. But he's to, supposed to lose. Right. Well, he he makes a deal with a guy to split the money, and then that guy finds out the cops are after him. He ditches after already, it. He ditches it, he and another guy another comes guy. in, yeah. a bigger guy who's yeah. going to kill him. Um, when yeah. he gets out there, what he does is the he does this. It's this amazingly choreographed thing where he tries to keep the ref between him and the opponent. Um, but the funniest part of this is in the locker room before him, where one of the other boxers lets him borrow his lucky rabbit's foot, and he rubs the rabbit's foot all over himself. This other boxer goes out and then is dragged back into the locker room because he just got knocked out. So Charlie Chaplin's looking at this, and he starts trying to wipe off his body where he touched himself with the rabbit's foot. It's just, it's filled with moments yeah. like that that are so yeah. smart and clever. And, you know, I think people are often turned off by silent films for obvious reasons. I mean, they're clearly dated. And so much of the content in this film is not dated at all. Yeah. I mean, it's got its moments, but the ending scene especially, I think you know, it would have the capability if you showed it in mass today, not leaving a dry in the house. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Well, mass seems like a weird place to show this. I mean, to the masses. On mass. Oh, mass. not in a Catholic in church. In mass, yeah. The thing to me in this movie is, is at first it seems like, oh, we're just going to 
set it up so the tramp gets in all these funny situations mm-hmm. and it'll be very episodic but there's something about why he's doing it mm-hmm. in order to save this girl's sight and it's a love story there's something that makes it so powerful and it makes it such a like a real movie it doesn't like, feel, you like, feel like you're watching yeah. a bunch of it's not like a bunch of skits it like a lot feel of like silent a, films it, were. yeah it doesn't feel like a cheap setup right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh city <laughs> lights <laughs> check it out <laughs> uh what are you guys excited about well speaking of city lights and this is kind of funny because I, I unfortunately I didn't have a chance to watch City Lights but I could have because I am now a member I don't know I don't know what to call it I've signed up for Filmstruck mm-hmm. which is a new streaming platform for not only the Criterion collection but for a slew of rare old foreign not old great films you know we're filming this uh we're recording this a month back and the third season of sherlock just ended and that's a great show as to whether or fourth season i'm sorry as to whether you've seen it or not but the first four seasons are fantastic no yeah (laughs) only three episodes per season it's incredible you can knock it out i'm reading a book right now called the story of film by mark cousins it's a film historian who wrote this wonderful book that's teaching me a lot about the story of film Hmm. it's fascinating whose cousin wrote it mark's cousin mark's cousins it's all of his cousins it's a a group effort Okay. So next week, we'll discuss our favorite movies of 2016, including three movies about music. Uh, What about two movies about aliens? Sure. A couple documentaries? Yeah. What about uh, one about a talking tree? I love it. You betcha. I'm excited about that. I'll take that. That's pretty exciting. Best of 2016. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it. Hey there, Flapjackers. Let us know how you listen to us at at fightaboutfilm on Facebook and Twitter. Or email us at fightaboutfilm at gmail.com. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Four Friends Fight About Film is produced by the Brothers Ray in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was recorded and edited by Jordan Noel. He's aces, see? If you're feeling sad and lonely... There's a service I can render. Tell the one who digs you only. I can be so warm and tender. Call me. Maybe it's late to just call me. Don't be afraid to just.